You may be seated. Uh, please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your good news. We thank you for these words that were spoken to someone who was confused and yet wanting to see you and see the kingdom. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that you minister to our hearts, eyes that can see the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would um, be renewed in each of us this morning and that the eyes of our hearts, the longing of our desires would turn to you and begin to see you clearly in all of the blessing of your presence and your love. Amen. I was uh, thinking about that list of, what do you, whoops, I'm gonna have a hard time with all my accoutrements up here. I was thinking about that list of javelin prayers that I handed out last week, and some of you may have seen the video that I put out there that goes with that. And uh, one of the things that I noticed about all of these, um, these prayers is that they are, um, they have to do with temptations that are mediated by our senses like our, our faculties of sight and sound and, and taste, and, and um, it's when they kind of get out of order. And so then they become a temptation, and then they distract us or they get us off center. They get us kind of like overly occupied with something that's animating that particular sense. So, you know, obviously if you've got a, a gluttony issue, and I, I know I often pick this, it's just at the top of the list, um, but if that's something that you're, you're struggling with for various reasons, and I actually think in our culture, it's not just folks who maybe overeat or eat um, unhealthily. It could actually be p people who are eating very healthily and are obsessed about it. Um, so maybe, maybe it's, it's that, but there's something in us that might get obsessed with the organ of taste. And we're hoping to have that particular taste in order to have a, a sense of satisfaction. And um, I think that a lot of times we think that life consists in all of the, the senses that um, lead to pleasure, right? And our senses are a beautiful gift. They're meant to be mediating life. In fact, if we don't have senses as a baby, we're, we're not gonna thrive and we will uh, very likely die, particularly if we don't have the, the kind of um, senses that are filled with the loving presence of a mom and the loving presence of a mother who nurses us and, and changes our diaper and touches us with loving care. All of those senses need to be involved in receiving that ministry of life. But then there's this way when you get older that you can start to think, well, I can, I can, um, I can actually figure out ways to titillate my senses and achieve all kinds of good feelings and then you can become addicted to it, enslaved to it even. And uh, I, I was thinking about that in light of Nicodemus because one thing that I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed this, do you notice how many times he says, he says the word can? Let me just see if I can rehearse a couple of these for you. So he comes to Jesus by night and he says, no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. And Jesus says, um, 
unless one's born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb? And Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless it's by water and the spirit. And um, don't marvel at that. And uh, Nicodemus says again, how can these things be? And it seems that Jesus may be a little little bit exasperated. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Told you earthly things. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things if you won't believe the earthly? And I think there's something about Nicodemus that is caught up in the, in, the, in the way that we can manage our lives, and he is in one of the ruling fam- families of Israel. A lot of people believe it might have been the key, top, richest, most powerful ruling family in Israel at the time. And uh, he can do a lot to take care of himself. He can do a lot to perceive what needs to be done and then pursue it. So I actually think he's a lot like us because we have a lot of capability to do the same thing. We have a lot of power to arrange our lives so that we can fill our senses with the things that make us feel good. And we can sort of pass the time at least adequately when that's the case. But if there's this part of you that actually wants to see the kingdom of God and that's how you're running your life, you're gonna run into a problem because you're not being in the kingdom under a king you're being your own king, and you're managing all of it on your own. I, I want to give an illustration of what I'm talking for. It still feels like it's a little bit abstract right now. So I was um, reading this week a little bit about Augustine, who was um, one of my favorite early, uh, well, I guess he's a mid to late church father. And in his confessions, he talks about how he came to the Lord. And it was, it was really through beauty. There was so much in his, his heart that he longed for, and he'd been pursuing beauty for a long time, and he would probably say in all the wrong ways that you can pursue beauty, including um, getting involved in a lot of illicit relationships, and he would say things like, you know, Lord, I'd like to repent, but not just yet, because he was really enjoying, as we often do, you know, what you can get if you use your senses in the way that he's misusing them. And he's not realizing that when you do that, you're actually experiencing enslavement. And that's part of the lie that he wishes that he realized earlier on. That the things that we think are, that's a great way to live life. And that's what our culture is constantly telling us. Hey, just enjoy this. Take this little tidbit, look at this image entertain yourself this way is actually a lie. But the longing for beauty, the longing for connection that's beneath it, that's not a bad thing. That's actually the good thing. So it was the beauty of creatures um, that it actually kept him far from his creator who is the source of all beauty. But then at a certain point, beauty breaks through the very senses by which we perceive beauty in every appearance. So the senses aren't bad, it's just they need to be directed in the right way. And here's how Augustine describes that whole process of senses that are out of order being misused and then becoming part of salvation, the salvation experience of knowing the Lord and his love. 
Behold, you are within me, but I was outside myself. I sought you here, and in my degradation, I threw myself upon the beautiful things that you had made. You were with me, but I was not with you. Keeping me far from you were those very things which if they did not exist in you, would not exist at all. You called, you cried out, you overcame my deafness. You lit up my life like lightning. You shone forth and put my blindness to flight. You breathed forth your sweet smell. I took it in and yearned for you. You touched me and I burned with longing for your peace. He had been loving a lesser beauty and rushing towards a huge abyss, but the Lord reached out to him and revealed himself and met him in a way that he could actually experience God through his senses. And so Augustine was saved and ultimately touched through these very senses. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, um, a person who wants to see the kingdom. Jesus realizes that, and I think that's exactly why he responds to Nicodemus in the way that he does. That, um, you know, uh, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again from above. You're born again from above or born again in the spirit is another way to say it. And that is puzzling for him. He wants to know how you can enter into a womb again. He's taking it quite literally. And Jesus says, you can't, you can't see or you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. And the reason is because flesh is flesh. So if you're born in the flesh, you can, you can perceive the things of the flesh. But if you're born in the spirit, then you have the capacity to perceive the things of the spirit. It's kind of like he's saying that your ability to perceive with one of your senses right now is actually blocked until the spirit of God opens them up. One of the ways the spirit of God is often described in the Old Testament is, is these lights that are, that are in the... Um, that are on the candelabra, you know, the seven lights. And so the seven spirits of God, they're, they're also understood as like the seven, the, the, the ways, the, the eyes of God that looks out on the universe and that is full of wisdom and counsel and might and understanding and the, the fear of God. And, and then when Jesus comes, all of that way of knowing, which is a God way of knowing, is given to us because he's full of that and he spreads it out upon us when he pours out his spirit. So we can actually then know God. And, and that's, a, that's, of course, not happened yet. So Nicodemus, and I think the disciples who are listening to this is kind of puzzling. It's how can we know this and how can we be born into this way of the Spirit so that we can know the way that you would know if you're in the Spirit? It hasn't happened yet. And, um, but Jesus is bearing witness to that. And it's very difficult to understand where you're still completely caught up in dancing on the outside of things, staying on the outside of what is presented to you. Jesus is bearing witness to what he sees, 
and what he knows. And we know from the rest of the Gospel of John that Jesus is in constant contact with the Father. He's saying what he hears the Father say. He's doing what he sees the Father do. And he's never really left the Father's side. He's become flesh, and he's dwelling among us, but he's never left the Father's side. He's in the Father's heart all the time and uh, communicating the Father to us through his presence in our midst in the flesh, which is kind of an interesting reality in light of the fact that he's saying the flesh is of no avail. Well, that's our flesh apart from God. I think one of the things about Nicodemus, think about it this way. We can't handle a lot on our own in the lives that we live in America. It's a very privileged existence, a very powerful and enriched existence. And we can think we're okay. And Nicodemus definitely is a lot like us because he was one of the richest families in that area. And his level of need or felt need is probably kind of small, but there's something in him that still wants to see God. He has a sense of belonging, by the way. He's in the inner circle of the world. He's, in, he's got his group. He has his place of approval. And so all of the things that he would be looking to, to others to approve in this world, he basically has. I think a lot of us have that too. We're reasonably successful, re- reasonably approved. And, um, and yet, it's not enough because he's still seeking. Praise the Lord. He has a sense of belonging, but it's not the belonging that he ultimately needs. We can have a sense of belonging, but unless our belonging comes from the Lord, it's not the belonging that Jesus came to give to us. He wants us to receive this love that is a revelation of God so that we can actually know God, so that we can, with the eyes of our heart, see God, so that with the ears of our heart, we can hear the way he hears the Father. He wants us to know God. He even says, to know God is eternal life. So he wants us to know him as the son of God and he wants us to know the father and he wants us to know through his revelation and it's his flesh, his own embodied existence that will fully disclose God to Nicodemus and to us. But you have to come to him. All right, so I'm going to go just dip into a little bit of a passage right after the, the, uh, the section that we read. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open up to John 3. And he's saying that if you come to him, you'll have eternal life, and you're saved through Jesus. Otherwise, you're in condemnation already. You haven't believed in the name. If you haven't believed in the name of the only Son of God, which is another way of saying, if you haven't come into the the presence of God, if you haven't drawn near to him with your own presence and come into the circle, the sphere of, of his presence to know him, then you can't know the Lord. And he says believe, and it's a very active word here. It's not belief, it's believe. It's entrust yourself. You need to entrust yourself to me. And he says that, well, this is actually the judgment because this light of my presence has come into the world and people love darkness instead of the light. And the reason is because their, their actual deeds are evil and everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into it. 
because then your evil deeds would be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's another way of saying he's come so into the presence of God, he's so in the light that now he's participating. All of the things that he's perceiving with his spiritual senses are filled with the presence of God in such a way that it's actually begun to change him. This is what happens when you know someone, right? It changes you. Part of who they are starts to come into your heart. Part of their presence starts to change your presence. Your mother is the first person who really does that, and your own being is kind of communicated to you through her attention to you, and all of your senses take her in, and she imparts to you a presence and changes your presence and nurtures your presence with her presence, and Jesus is that one who does that in the spirit. When we come to know him, his presence, his light begins to so change us that we see him, we know him, and we participate in him. We hear him, we speak what he says. We see him, we do what he does. And our works then are carried out in him. There's that kind of connection that can happen if we don't love the darkness rather than the light. If we don't so love our sense of belonging in the world that we remain there and don't fully come into his presence. You have to come in and entrust yourself. Because Jesus will say, the flesh is of no avail. Doesn't matter who you were born to. Like Abraham, you really have to be willing to trust God. You have to leave your father's house, so to speak. You have to leave that sense of confidence and entrust yourself to him who is alone, trustworthy with our hearts. And so, you know, Nicodemus has been given a challenge. And what ends up happening is that he does ultimately follow Jesus and come to him. He does come to him. It says um, a little bit later on when the council is trying to figure out what to do about Jesus, he says, shouldn't you first give a rabbi a hearing before you condemn him? Or shouldn't you first give a person a hearing before you condemn him? And, and like, are you from Galilee too? They start to condemn him. He's beginning to shift his sense of belonging and his allegiance to Jesus. He's beginning. He's making a move to Jesus. That probably made him feel a little bit vulnerable. And I think when we make moves to Jesus, it can make us feel vulnerable. And that sense of weakness can um, expose our hearts a little bit. And that is actually part of the plan to awaken our spiritual senses, I think, is to put us in touch with that vulnerability. It's kind of like, in my, my sense of it, it's once you start letting go of the stuff that you've filled your, 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 your heart with and you've occupied yourself with, it's sort of like cleansing the palate and then you're gonna be able to taste and see that God is good. And so he starts to cleanse his palate and he begins to taste and see that God is good and says later after um, Jesus has died that he shows up with a massive amount of herbs and ointment to help um, the ladies with the body of our Lord. And that was an even more public thing that he did. We know from history that um, 
He um, was very likely one of five very prominent Jewish figures who had become Christian and then were martyred and were executed because of their faith, which would be the ultimate way of getting in touch with vulnerability. To so believe, to so entrust yourself to God in that place of vulnerability, and to so let him fill your senses with his glory that you actually entrust yourself to him even to the point of death. So aligning with the family of God that you, you leave behind all the privilege and the honor that you had at the top of the heap to do whatever you would. And he makes that journey in faith if we're going to um, believe, and I think it's fair to do so, what's true about Nicodemus that he ultimately came to the kind of faith that Jesus is describing. The way that Jesus is describing being lifted up is pointing to the cross. He's pointing to his own entrance into flesh and entrance into vulnerability when his side is opened up and out of his side comes the blood, the water. He breathes his last breath and out comes the spirit that's within him and all of these gifts of himself are ultimately, Jesus says, the way that he reveals God so that you can see him. And John sees him in that and bears witness to it. And it's what Ezekiel was saying is that I'm going to raise up in you, in your hard heart, a heart of flesh, and then you will begin to know the Lord. I'm going to, in Isaiah 52, lift up and exalt my servant, my suffering one, and that's a revelation of God and his kingdom. And this is being fulfilled, and Jesus is pointing ahead to that when he's speaking to Nicodemus, that that ultimate revelation that will fill the imaginations of disciples from that point forward was going to happen, and that's how you would know that he is God. And, of course, it was particularly pronounced that all of his suffering was then filled with glory when he was raised from the dead, and all of his wounds shone forth with glory at that point. I think ultimately, too, what you, what you see when Jesus is, um, is raised from the dead and then Pentecost happens is you then have the Spirit. And the way Paul describes it is that the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, let's see, it's 1 Corinthians 2. It's a beautiful chapter on what I've been talking about. How does the Spirit make it possible for you to know God? He says, when, you know, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God's prepared for those who love him. You can't really see him unless by the Spirit of God. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We haven't received just the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given us by God, who's, in, who's revealing these things. It's not human wisdom, it's God's wisdom. He says it very explicitly this way. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, their foolishness. And he's not able to understand it because they're spiritually discerned. Who's understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of God. We have this way of knowing. Jesus says, you must come to me when I am lifted up. 
the way that he expounds that a little bit further. So the great verse of John 3.16 is, is in the, the letter of 1 John to the church. He says, anyone who does not, um, let's see, in the, and this is the love of God. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but the, that he loved us and sent his son to make us one with God in atonement for our sins. He manifests God because he loves us and that love is most perfectly revealed when he's lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever entrusts himself to him may have eternal life, which is knowing God. I, I think our senses are a great gift. And when they come to be exposed to the light, which is Christ, then they're filled with him. When they start to taste his words and see how good they are, then it's an exquisitely good meal and it's fortifying. When you hear his words, you're given courage to obey. And, and it even says that you can't, you can't really be faithful unless you have the spirit of God. Spirit of God makes it possible for you to be one who is loyal to the Lord as well. And Jesus has done this. He has given us the Spirit of God. But here he's especially pointing out that you've got to come to him when he's lifted up, when his vulnerability is especially revealed. I, I, I think I was starting to understand some of this a little bit this week because I've been, some of you know, I've been, I've been so physically, like, weak from the pneumonia that I had and then, and then some other things that are going on. I basically get half a day where I'm pretty solid, and then after that, I'm pretty tired. I'm getting better, by the way. Praise the Lord. And I was at the retreat for the clergy this week, and it's like I could only get about half the day. It's just a, it's frustrating because I want to see more, and I want to hear more, and I want to participate more. And then, and then um, our, we find out that our granddaughter... I'm sorry, my, my daughter, who's about to have a child, is having premature labor, and she's, he's, she's very upset, and so we have to rush home. And we watch Charlie, our toddler granddaughter, while um, Kirsten's taking care of him. Praise the Lord, the baby's okay, but she's got to do bed rest. And you're just feeling, man, you're feeling this weakness. You're feeling this vulnerability, and I have, I have no control over it. I have no control over it. And in that place of vulnerability, something started to, I started to feel something that I maybe hadn't felt in a long time. Like I can't do anything to make this better. Nicodemus has been trying to, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You can't do anything. Let the Spirit of God come into you and you'll receive the gift of knowing me and knowing God when you see me lifted up. And then that healing is going to come, just like the serpent in the wilderness when all of the Israelites were stung with the, the, the bitterness of their own sins. The only way they could be healed and saved into life was to look on that, that bronze serpent and then be healed. They entrusted themselves to the Lord and they saw the healing and they entrusted themselves to that and they were healed. And Jesus is saying the deepest healing of not knowing God will be healed when you entrust yourself to me, looking to me 
in the place of my vulnerability with your vulnerability. There's a deep, deep kind of knowing going on here. All right, so I've got some crosses up here, and I'm thinking, how do I, you know, I think for me, it's, I am a visual person. I think we are a visual person. Uh, all of us are made to see, and these words are there, seek the face of God. It's a seeing, kind of a seeking that he's saying. And he came flesh so that he could appear to, to the eye of the beholder. But he wants us to see through just the outward to the inward. He wants us to see, and we have to have the spirit to do that. But one of the ways that we bring ourselves to the Lord and begin to receive that is by coming to the cross, is by beginning to see him there in that place of vulnerability. It's something that touches the heart. He's pierced and it pierces our heart. So John and Mary see that and I'm looking at this cross of St. Francis. This is the one that he hung up in one of his monasteries and it's a very ancient cross because of the way he's depicted. He's depicted with his eyes wide open. I mean, Jesus is eyes wide open. He's fully engaged. He's fully aware. He's perceiving everything. He's perceiving what the, God, the Father is doing. He's perceiving the movement of the Spirit in and through him. And he's being completely and totally faithful in his own vulnerability. And he can communicate God's love to the end, to the completeness of it, by his giving of himself voluntarily on the cross. It's, it's said of St. Francis that this is the, this, he spent hours in front of this cross and that San Damian, a little chapel, he would sit there and just look at the Lord. And it, it, it describes how, deep, how, much, how deeply he got to know Jesus over his life. A lot of people, though, say that one of the most profound times of his knowing of the Lord was when his own body started to bear wounds. I guess sometimes this happens with people who are real saints, Right? They're so knowing the Lord that sometimes their own body starts to show the kinds of wounds that our Lord had. And it was a deep touching of his heart. When that happened, he was so deeply in communion with the Lord through his own vulnerability that he, he was just radiant with the presence of God. So we've talked a lot in this Lenten season about prayer I think a lot of what I want to say to you today is behold the Lord. Take a, take a cross. Uh, we want to set aside time, but maybe set aside your space a little bit with a cross. There's different kinds of crosses. I sometimes carry this one in my pocket. And I think it's that place at the foot of the cross that touches the heart in such a way that you're touched. Where your vulnerability is moved by his vulnerability. And there's an incredible re revelation of God. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, you stretched wide your arms on the hard wood of the cross that everyone would come within the reach of your saving embrace. I thank you, Lord, that when you were lifted up as Zechariah prophesied, you drew us to you. I thank you that when you were exalted and lifted up here, that you revealed your love, your sonship 
of the Father. Uh, you even reveal what it means for us to really be human and to know you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our season of Lenten fasting for the vulnerabilities that we get in touch with, Lord. I pray that we would begin to look to you, that we would begin to come to you. I thank you, Lord, that when your spirit is given, that our hearts can enter into the knowing that you have with the Father and the Spirit and we can have a deep and eternal life and we can enjoy the love that you came to shed abroad through your blood. Lord, we, we are absolutely helpless. There is nothing we can do if we don't have your Spirit so I pray, Lord, that as we go to our prayer closets and as we begin to set aside time to commune with you, that as we look at the crosses that you lead us to put in our prayer closets, that you would deeply touch our hearts and that we would know you. I thank you, Lord, that you care about revealing yourself to our senses and that there are ways in which we can enter in very practically and very movingly and that therefore we can see the kingdom, enter the kingdom and enjoy it. Enjoy it now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.